are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. Pan American World Airways, commonly known as Pan Am, was the principal and largest international air carrier in the United States from 1927 until its collapse on December 4th, 1991. Founded in 1927 as a scheduled air mail and passenger service operator operating between Key West, Florida and Havana, Cuba. The airline became a major company credited with many interventions that shaped the international airline industry, including the widespread use of jet aircraft, jumbo jets, and the computerized reservation system. It was also a founding member of the International Air Transport Association, or the IATA, the Global Airline Industry Association. Identified by its Blue Globe logo, the use of the word clipper in aircraft names and call signs, and the white pilot uniform caps, the airline was a cultural icon of the 20th century. In an era dominated by flag carriers that were wholly or majority government-owned, it was also the unofficial flag carrier of the United States of America. During most of the jet era, Pan Am's flagship terminal was the World Port, located at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City. Pan American 
Airways, Incorporated, was founded as a shell company on March 14, 1927, by Air Corps Majors Henry H. Hap Arnold and Carl A. Spatz and John H. Joet as a counterbalance to the German-owned Colombian carrier SCADTA, operating in Colombia since 1920. SCADTA lobbied hard for landing rights in the Panama Canal Zone, ostentiously to survey air routes for connection to the United States, which the Air Corps viewed as a precursor to possible German aerial threat to the canal. Majors Arnold and Spatz drew up the prospectus for Pan American when Skadta hired a company in Delaware to obtain airmail contracts from the U.S. government. Pan American was able to obtain the U.S. mail delivery contract to Cuba, but lacked any aircraft to perform the job and did not have landing rights in Cuba. On June 2, 1927, Juan Tripp formed the Aviation Corporation of the Americas with the backing of powerful and politically collected financiers who concluded Cornelius Vanderbilt Whitney and W. Averill Harriman. And together they raised a quarter of a million dollars in startup capital from the sale of stock. The operation had the all-important landing rights for Havana, having acquired American International Airways, a small airline established in 1926 by John K. Montgomery and Richard B. Bivier as a seaplane service from Key West, Florida to Havana, Cuba. Aviation Corporation of the Americas met its deadline of having an airmail service operating by October 19, 1927, by chartering a Fairchild FC-2 float plane from a small Dominican Republic carrier. West Indian Aerial Express was that carrier. The Atlantic, Gulf, and Caribbean Airways Company was established on October 11th 1927 by New York City investment banker Richard Hoyt who served as the president. This company merged with Pan American Airways and America's Corporate Airways on June 23, 1928. Richard Hoyt was named as president of the new Aviation Corporation of the Americas. But Tripp and his partners held 40% of the equity and Whitney was made president. Tripp became operational head of Pan American Airways, the new company's principal operating subsidy. The U.S. government approved the original Pan Am's mail delivery contract 
with little objection. Out of fears that SCATTA would have no competition in bidding for routes between Latin America and the United States. The government further helped Pan Am by insulating it from U.S. competitors, seeing the airline as the chosen instrument for U.S.-based international air routes. The airline expanded internationally, benefiting from a virtual monopoly on foreign routes. Tripp and his associates planned to extend Pan Am's network through all of Central and South America. During the late 1920s and early 1930s, Pan Am purchased a number of ailing or defunct airlines in Central and South America and negotiated with postal officials to win most of the government's airmail contracts to the region. In September 1929, Juan Tripp toured Latin America with Charles Lindbergh to negotiate landing rights in a number of countries, including Barranquilla on Scadat's home turf of Colombia, also in Maracaibo and Caracas. By the end of the year, Pan Am offered flights along the west coast of South America to Peru. The following year, Pan Am purchased the New York, Rio, and Buenos Aires line, giving it a seaplane route along the east coast of South America to Buenos Aires, Argentina, and westbound to Santiago, Chile. Its Brazilian subsidiary, Nirba do Brasil, was later renamed as Pan Air do Brasil. Pan American also partnered with Grace Shipping Company in 1929 to form Pan American Grace Airways, better known as Panagra, to gain a foothold to destinations in South America. Pan Am's holding company, the Aviation Corporation of Americas, was one of the most sought-after stocks on the New York Stock Exchange in 1929, and flurries of speculation surrounded each of its new route awards. In April 1929, Tripp and his associates reached an agreement with the United Aircraft and Transportation Corporation, the UATC, to segregate Pan Am operations to south of the Mexico-United States border. In exchange for UATC taking large shareholder stake, the UATC, by the way, was the parent company of what are now Boeing, Pratt-Whitney, and United Airlines. The Aviation Corporation of the Americas changed its name to Pan American Airways Corporation in 1931. Critical to Pan Am's success as an airline was the proficiency of its flight crews, who were rigorously trained in long-distance flight, seaplane anchorage, and berthing operations over-water navigation, radio procedure, aircraft repair, and marine tides. During the day, use of compass while judging drift from sea currents was normal procedure. At night, all flight crews were trained to use celestial navigation. 
In bad weather, pilots use dead reckoning and time turns, making successful landings at fogged-in harbors by landing out to sea, then taxiing the plane into port. Many pilots had merchant marine certifications and radio licenses as well as pilot certificates. A Pan Am flight captain would normally begin his career years earlier as a radio operator or even a mechanic, steadily gaining his licenses and working his way up the flight crew roster to navigator, then second officer, and then first officer. Before World War II, it was not unusual for a captain to make engine repairs at remote locations. Pan Am's mechanics and support staff were similarly trained. Newly hired applicants were frequently paired with experienced flight mechanics in several areas of the company until they achieved proficiency in all aircraft types. Emphasis was placed on learning to maintain and overhaul aircraft in harsh seaborne environments when faced with logistical difficulties as might be expected in a small foreign port without an aviation infrastructure or even an adequate road network. Many crews supported repair operations by flying in spare parts to planes stranded overseas, in some cases performing repairs themselves. The Clipper era began when Pan Am inaugurated its South American routes using Sikorsky S-38 and S-40 flying boats. The latter were three large passenger craft put into service by TRIP in 1931 to provide greater carrying capacity than the eight-passenger S-38, carrying the nicknames American Clipper Southern Clipper, and Caribbean Clipper. They were the first of series of 28 Clippers that came to symbolize Pan Am between 1931 and 1946. In 1937, Pan Am turned to Britain and France to begin seaplane services between the United States and Europe. Pan Am reached an agreement with both countries to offer service from Norfolk, Virginia to Europe via Bermuda and the Azores using the Sikorsky S-40s. Starting in June 1937, a joint service from the U.S. mainland to Bermuda was inaugurated with Pan Am using Sikorsky flying boats and Imperial Airways using the C-class flying boat RMA Cavier. On July 5, 1937, the first commercial survey flights across the North Atlantic were conducted. The Pan Am Clipper III, a Sikorsky S-42, landed at Botwood in the Bay of Exploits in Newfoundland from Port Washington, New York, via Shediac, New Brunswick. The next day, Pan Am Clipper III left Botwood for Foynes in Ireland, 
The same day, a short Empire C-class flying boat, the Caledonia, left Foynes for Botwood and landed July 6, 1937, reaching Montreal on July 8th and New York on July 9th. These test flights marked the first steps towards commercial transatlantic flights in heavier-than-air aircraft. Tripp then decided to start a service from San Francisco to Honolulu and from there to Hong Kong and Auckland following existing steamship routes. After negotiating traffic rights in 1934 to land at Pearl Harbor, Midway Island, Wake Island, Guam, and Subic Bay, Manila, Pan Am shipped half a million dollars worth of aeronautical equipment westward in March 1935 using the North Haven, a 15,000-ton merchant ship it chartered for the purpose of provisioning each island that the Clippers would stop at on their four- to five-day flight. Pan Am ran its first survey flight to Honolulu in April 1935 with a Sikorsky S-42 flying boat. The airline won the contract for a San Francisco-Canton mail route later that year and operated its first commercial flight carrying mail and express, no passengers, in a Martin M-130 from Alameda to Manila amid massive media fanfare on November 22, 1935. The five-leg 8,000-mile flight arrived in Manila on November 29th and returned to San Francisco on December 6th, cutting the one-way travel time in either direction between the two cities via the fastest scheduled steamship service by over two weeks. So impressed, both the United States and the Philippine Islands issued special stamps for the two flights. The first passenger flight left Alameda on October 21, 1936. The fare from San Francisco to both Manila and Hong Kong in 1937 was $950 one way. That's about $14,700 in today's money. And they would charge $1,700 for a round trip which was about $26,400 in today's dollars. On August 6, 1937, Juan Tripp accepted United States Aviation highest annual prize, the Collier Trophy, on behalf of Pan American Airways from President Franklin D. Roosevelt for the company's establishment of the Trans-Pacific Airline and the successful execution of extended overwater navigation and the regular operation thereof. Later, Pan Am used Boeing 314 flying boats from the, for the Pacific route. In China, passengers could connect to domestic flights on the Pan Am-operated China National Aviation Corporation. 
co-owned with the Chinese government. Pan Am flew to Singapore for the first time in 1941, starting a semi-monthly service which reduced San Francisco-Singapore travel times from 25 days to 6 days. The Boeing 314s were used for transatlantic routes starting in 1939. Six large, long-range Boeing 314 flying boats were delivered to Pan Am in early 1939. The new type enabled commencement of a regular weekly transatlantic passenger and airmail service between the United States and Britain on June 24, 1939. The route was from New York via Shedrick, Botwood, and Fornes to Southampton. After the outbreak of World War II, the terminal became Foynes until the service ceased for the winter on October 5th. Transatlantic service to Lisbon via the Azores continued into 1941. Throughout the war, Pan Am flew over 90 million miles, or 145 million kilometers, worldwide in support of military operations. In 1940, Pan Am and TWA began using Boeing 307 Stratoliners for passenger services. It was the first pressurized airliner to go into commercial service and the first to include a flight engineer as a member of the crew. The Boeing 307 airline service provided short-lived as all five models were built, commandeered for military service at the outbreak of World War II. The Clippers, the name harkened back to the 19th century Clipper ships, were the only American passenger aircraft of the time capable of intercontinental travel. To compete with ocean liners, the airline offered first-class seats on such flights, and the style of flight crews became more formal. Instead of being leather-jacketed, silk-scarved airmail pilots, the crews of the Clippers wore naval-style uniforms and adopted a set of processions when boarding the aircraft. The China Clipper became well known for its South Seas routes. In 1942, while waiting at Foynes County, Limerick, Ireland, for a Pan Am Clipper flight to New York, passengers were served a drink today known as Irish coffee, made by Chef Joe Sheridan. During World War II, most of the Clippers were pressed into military service. Pan Am pioneered a new air route across Western and Central Africa to Iran. When Franklin Delano Roosevelt became the first U.S. president to fly aboard 
in the Dixie Clipper. Believe it or not, during this period, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry was a Clipper pilot, and he was aboard the Clipper Eclipse when it crashed in Syria on June 19, 1947. There was growing competition after World War II. Air transport's growth importance in the post-war era meant that Pan Am would no longer enjoy the official patronage that it had been afforded in pre-war days to prevent the emergence of any meaningful competition at both home and abroad. Although Pan Am continued to use its considerable political influence to lobby for protection of its position as America's primary international airline, it encountered increasing competition. First, from American Export Airlines, which is now American Overseas Airlines, AOA, from November 1945, across the Atlantic to Europe, and subsequently from others including TWA to Europe, Braniff to South America, United to Hawaii, and Northwest Orient to East Asia, as well as five potential rivals in Mexico. This change situation resulted from a more enlightened approach of the Civil Aeronautics Board towards the promotion of competition between major U.S. carriers on key domestic and international schedule routes compared with pre-war U.S. aviation policy. AOA was the first airline to begin regular land plane flights across the Atlantic on October 24, 1945. In January 1946, Pan Am scheduled seven DC-4s a week east from LaGuardia Airport, five to London, to Hearn Airport, and two to Lisbon. Time to Hearn Airport was 17 hours, 40 minutes, including stops. It was also 20 hours and 45 minutes to Lisbon. A Boeing 314 flying bloat flew LaGuardia to Lisbon once every two weeks in 29 hours and 30 minutes. Flying boats ended shortly thereafter. TWA's transatlantic challenge the impending introduction of its faster, pressurized Lockheed Constellations resulted in Pan Am ordering its own Constellation fleet at $750,000 apiece. Pan Am began transatlantic Constellation flights on January 14, 1946, beating TWA by three weeks. In January 1946, 
Miami to Buenos Aires took 71 hours and 15 minutes in a Pan Am DC-3. But the following summer, DC-4s flew Idlewild to Buenos Aires in 38 hours and 30 minutes. In January 1958, Pan Am's DC-7Bs flew New York to Buenos Aires in 25 hours and 20 minutes, while the national Pan Am Panagera DC-7Bs via Panama and Lima took 22 hours and 45 minutes. Convair 240s replaced DC-3s and other pre-war types on Pan Am's shorter flights in the Caribbean and South America. Pan Am also acquired a few Curtis C-46s for a freight work network that eventually extended to Buenos Aires. In 1946, Pan Am had no Trans-Pacific flights beyond Hawaii, but they soon resumed with DC-4s. In January 1958, the California to Tokyo flight was a daily stratocruiser that took 31 hours and 45 minutes from San Francisco, or 32 hours and 15 minutes from Los Angeles. A flight to Seattle and a connection to Northwest DC-7C totaled 24 hours and 13 minutes from San Francisco. But Pan Am was not allowed to fly this route. The Stratocruiser's double-deck fuselage with sleeping berths and a lower-deck lounge helped it to compete with its rival. Super Stratus Cruisers with more fuel appeared on Pan Am's transatlantic routes in November 1954, making non-stop eastward and one-stop westward scheduled more reliable. In 1947, Pan Am started the first scheduled round-the-world airline flight. In September, the weekly DC-4 was scheduled to leave San Francisco at 2200 hours Thursday as flight number one, stopping at Honolulu, Midway, Wake, Guam, Manila, Bangkok, and arriving in Calcutta on Monday at 1245 hours, where it met flight two, a constellation that had left New York at 2330 Friday. The DC-4 returned to San Francisco as Flight 2. The Constellation left Calcutta 13.30 hours Tuesday, stopped at Karachi, Istanbul, London, Shannon, Gander, and arrived in LaGuardia Thursday at 14.55 hours. A few months later, Pan Am 3 took over the Manila route, while Pan Am 1 shifted to Tokyo and Shanghai. All Pan Am round-the-world flights included at least one change of plane until Boeing 707s took over in 1960. Pan Am 1 became daily in 1962 through the 1963, making different en-route stops on different days of the week. 
In January 1963, it left San Francisco at 0900 hours daily and was scheduled into New York at 56 hours and 10 minutes later. Los Angeles replaced San Francisco in 1968 when Boeing 747s finished replacing 707s in 1971. All stops, except Tehran and Karachi, were served daily in each direction. For a year or so, in 1975 through 1976, Pan Am finally completed the round-the-world trip, New York to New York. In January 1950, Pan American Airways Corporation officially became Pan American World Airways Incorporated. The airline had begun calling itself Pan American World Airways since 1943, but now was official. In September 1950, Pan Am completed the $17 million purchase of American Overseas Airlines from American Airlines. That month, Pan Am ordered 45 Douglas DC-6Bs, the first Clipper Liberty Bell, tail number N6518C, inaugurated Pan Am's all-tourist class rainbow service between New York and London on May 1, 1952, to complete the all-first President Stratocruiser service. From June 1954, DC-6Bs began replacing the DC-4s on Pan Am's internal German routes. Pan Am introduced the Douglas DC-7C, known as the Seven Seas, on transatlantic routes in the summer of 1956. In January 1958, the DC-7C nonstop took 10 hours and 45 minutes from Idlewild to London, enabling Pan Am to hold its own against TWA's Super Constellations and Starliners. In 1957, Pan Am started DC-7C flights direct from the West Coast of the United States to London and Paris with a fuel stop in Canada or Greenland. The introduction of the faster Bristol-Britannia turboprop by the British Overseas Airway Corporation, known as BOAC, between New York and London from December 19, 1957, ended Pan Am's competitive leadership there. In January 1958, Pan Am scheduled 47 flights a week east from Idlewood to Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and beyond.
With growing competition on many of its routes, Pan Am began investing in such upcoming innovations as the new jet airliners and wide body types. Pan Am was the launch customer of the Boeing 707, placing an order for 20 in October of 1955. It also ordered 25 of Douglas's DC-8s for additional revenue-generating capacity due to this type's ability to seat six across, as opposed to five abreast seating Boeing had originally offered on its 707. The combined order value was $269 million. To maintain its competitive lead as the first U.S. aircraft manufacturer to offer a jetliner and meet its rival's competition challenge, Boeing modified the initial design of the 707's fuselage to seat six passengers across as well. The airline inaugurated transatlantic jet service from New York Idlewild to Paris Le Bourget, stopping at Gander to refuel on October 26, 1958, with Boeing 707-121 Clipper America, tail number N711PA, with 111 passengers. The introduction of the 320 Intercontinental Series 707 in 1959 and the Douglas DC-8 in March 1960 enabled non-stop transatlantic crossings with a viable payload in both directions. The latter 707's increased capacity reduced seat mile costs, helping Pan Am dominate the transatlantic market. Now we are firmly in the wide-body era. Pan Am was the launch customer of the Boeing 747, placing a $525 million order for 25 of them in April 1966. On January 15, 1970, First Lady Pat Nixon christened a Pan Am Boeing 747, the Clipper Young America, at Washington Dulles in the presence of Pan Am President Najib Halabi. During the next few days, Pan Am flew several 747s to major airports in the United States as a public relations effort allowing the public to tour the airplanes. Pan Am began its final preparations for the first 747 service in the evening of January 21, 1970, when Clipper Young America was scheduled to fly from New York John F. Kennedy to London Heathrow. An engine failure delayed the inaugural flight's departure by several hours, necessitating the substitution of another 747, which eventually flew to London Heathrow. Passengers cheered and drank champagne 
as the jet finally lifted off from the runway at John F. Kennedy Airport. Pan Am carried 11 million passengers over 20 billion miles, or 32 billion kilometers, in 1970, the year it revolutionized air, air travel with the first wide-body airliner. Pan Am was one of the first three airlines to sign options for the Aerospeciale BAC Concorde. But like other airlines that took out options, with the exception of BOAC and Air France, did not purchase the supersonic jet. Pan Am was the first U.S. airline to sign for the Boeing 2707, the American supersonic transport project, with 15 delivery positions reserved. These aircraft never saw service after Congress voted against additional funding to produce the Boeing 2707 in the year 1971. Pan Am commissioned IBM to build Panamac, a large computer that booked airline and hotel reservations, which was installed in 1964. It also held large amounts of information about cities, countries, airports, aircraft, hotels, and even restaurants. The computer occupied the entire fourth floor of the Pan American Building, which was the largest commercial office building in the world for some time. The airline also built Worldport, a terminal building at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York. It was distinguished by its elliptical four-acre roof, suspended far from the outside columns of the terminal below by 32 sets of steel posts and cables. The terminal was designed to allow passengers to board and disembark via stairs without getting wet by parking the nose of the aircraft under the overhang. The introduction of the jet bridge made this feature obsolete. Pan Am built a gilded training building in the style of Edward Durrell Stone designed by Skinner and Stewart Architects in Miami. At its peak in the late 1960s and early 1970s, Pan Am advertised under the slogan, the world's most experienced airline. It carried 6.7 million passengers in 1966, and by 1968, its 150 jets flew to 86 countries on every continent except for Antarctica over a scheduled route network of 81,000 unduplicated miles. During that period, the airline was profitable and its cash reserves totaled $1 billion. Most routes were between New York, Europe, and South America. 
and between Miami and the Caribbean. In 1964, Pan Am became a helicopter shuttle between New York's John F. Kennedy, LaGuardia, and Newark airports, and Lower Manhattan, operated by New York Airways. Aside from the DC-8, the Boeing 707, and the 747, the Pan Am jet fleet included Boeing 720Bs and 727s, the first aircraft to sport Pan Am rather than Pan American titles. The airline later had Boeing 737s and 747s, which could fly nonstop to New York, to Tokyo. Lockheed L-1011 Tristars, McDonnell Douglas DC-10s, and Airbus A300s and A310s. Pan Am owned the Intercontinental Hotel chain and had a financial interest in the Falcon Jet Corporation, which held marketing rights to the DeSalt Falcon 20 business jet in North America. The airline was involved in creating a missile tracking range in the South Atlantic and operating a nuclear engine testing laboratory in Nevada. In addition, Pan Am participated in several notable humanitarian flights. At its height, Pan Am was well regarded for its modern fleet and its experienced crews. Cabin staff were multilingual and usually college graduates, frequently with nurse training. Pan Am's onboard service and cuisine, inspired by Maxims de Paris, were delivered with a personal flair that has rarely been equaled. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.